Hey, thanks for hanging with us here on the latest episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. I'm Brent Axe. Do you subscribe to this podcast? God bless you. You're the best. If you don't, here's how you do it. It's very simple iTunes or Google Play. Just search Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit that subscribe button, and every time we do a new episode of this thing, it'll be sent right to your smart device, your iPad, wherever you listen to your podcast. It's very exciting. You get a little notice. There's a new episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast, and of course, you immediately stop what you're doing and listen immediately. A couple of things to focus on today. Of course, Tyus Battle is back. It was a very suspenseful Wednesday in central New York or wherever you are as an Orange fan as we got news Tyus was coming back. Then his father said, not so fast, my friends. But just past 1040, Wednesday night, official word from Tyus Battle came. And he's back, baby. So what does that mean for him? And what does that mean for the upcoming Syracuse basketball season? You'll also hear my one-on-one chat with Syracuse Chiefs manager Randy Knorr. But first, let's look at Tyus Battle. Dion Waiters, Michael Carter-Williams, Tyler Ennis, Chris McCullough, Malachi Richardson, Tyler Lydon. Those are the players that have been taken in the first round of the last six NBA drafts. Only Kentucky with eight straight picks in the first round and Duke with seven straight picks in the first round can top the orange. That streak we know will be broken because Tyus Battle has decided to come back to Syracuse. If Tyus simply wanted to be an NBA draft pick, he would have been an NBA draft pick. Maybe 40th, maybe 45th, maybe 50th. Somewhere in that second round, between picks 31 and 60, Tyus Battle, I'm confident, would have been selected. But that wasn't good enough for Tyus. And he has played this smart from the beginning. From the time he announced that he was going to essentially test the waters of the NBA draft, he did not hire an agent. He went out and got the best professional advice he could get from the professionals. He got invited to the NBA draft combine to not only get honest, direct feedback from the NBA decision makers, but to measure himself up against the best of the best at his position. When it all came back, Tyus and his father, Gary, were certainly confident that he would be selected somewhere. But he doesn't just want to be a draft pick. He wants to be a draft pick that plays. He wants to be a draft pick that contributes to a team right away. And I think he's got a much better shot to do that in next year's draft, which is considered by many experts, including a scout I talk to regularly, to be a much weaker draft and You don't want to insult Tyus by saying you'd have a better shot in that draft, but there were so many guards and so many players that just would have been selected above him in this draft that next year is a better play. So Syracuse, which has been the example of the one-and-done or the two-and-done player, to go to the NBA draft and strike when the iron has been hot, now will be the consummate example of, of how a player can improve his draft stock by doing something that seems rare these days, and that's coming back to school for another year. It's certainly possible that Tyus could hurt his stock by coming back, by hurting himself, or giving scouts just that much more time to break down the flaws in his game. And there are a couple of flaws in Tyus's game, and there are a couple edges in Tyus's game that he's certainly going to have to round off in this upcoming season. Notably this, he has a hitch in his shot, and his handle has to get much better. His strengths are clear, his athleticism, his ability to penetrate in the lane, He can flat-out score and has good size for his position. So what about next year? Well, Syracuse now becomes a team that will certainly find itself in the preseason top 25. It might even be a little more ambitious than that and say they're in the preseason top 15. 
Remember, this was a team that basically MacGyvered its way to the Sweet 16 last year. Tyus had to play 40 minutes a game. Frank Howard had to play 40 minutes a game. O'Shea Brissett had to play 40 minutes a game. And with barely six healthy players, this team beat Arizona State, beat TCU, beat Michigan State, and gave Duke a pretty good run in the Sweet 16 as well. It's funny how those Jim Beheim teams that just sneak in the tournament are somewhat off the radar, always make the deep runs. This is not a team that will be off the radar. With Tyus coming back to what is now a loaded guard position, they go from depleted to deep at the guard with Tyus, with Frank Howard back. Bigger, stronger, faster, and improved from a year ago. Four-star guard Jalen Carey. A lot of people are excited about this kid. They're going to find time to get him on the court, and I can't wait to see what he can bring to the table. A healthy Howard Washington Jr., who should be good to go for the season, but is recovering from a season-ending injury of last year. How will Jim Beheim use his son, Buddy, in his freshman year? That kid's a sniper. He can flat-out shoot the ball, and that's something that Syracuse really needs. Elijah Hughes, remember, sat on the bench all of last year as a transfer from East Carolina. Hughes can play both guard and forward, and Syracuse needs depth at the forward, though there is talent there, including, of course, O'Shea Brissett. You know, all this NBA draft talk about Tyus Battle, well, O'Shea Brissett's going to join him there, and I think O'Shea Brissett is going to join him there as a first-round pick. I think he's going to have that kind of season, a breakout season for the rest of college basketball Because I think those of us that watch Syracuse closely know the talent that's there for O'Shea Brissett. Merrick Doljai returns. Robert Braswell, the 6'9 prospect from South Carolina who comes in. The state high jump champ in South Carolina. Athletic player that can certainly shoot from the outside as well. So Syracuse has a few different players coming back that add an element that just wasn't there to last year's team. Three-point shooting. This was a team a year ago that depended on its defense, and I don't see that going away, right? You've got all five starters back from a Sweet 16 team that knew their bread was buttered on defense. They won't have to rely on their defense as much because they have an offensive component to go with that, but will still be a very difficult team to play on that side of the ball. Now that Tyus Battle has made his decision, Syracuse's 2018-19 team is pretty much set. Maybe Jim Beheim adds another player or two because there are scholarships available, but but to quote Norman Dale from Hoosiers, that's my team on the floor, and it should be a pretty darn good team. Welcome back, Tyus. To quote the Knight from Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, you have chosen wisely. From battle to baseball, here's my conversation with Syracuse Chiefs manager Randy Knorr. So, Randy, it's, it's a good time to kind of uh, reflect on everything that's happened in the season so far. Still plenty of baseball ahead of you. But as we speak, you're 25 and 25, 50 games in. So as best as you can, kind of kind of recap everything that you've seen so far to this point. Well, coming into the season, <clears throat> we were really had a lot of good players coming in. Our big league team was healthy, they were set. And then well, as we were going out of spring training with it. And then so I thought we'd, we'd kind of play pretty steady. Most of the year, I felt really good about the team going in. And then all of a sudden, the opening day, we get a call before we even get on the bus and we lose Matt Reynolds and, and uh, you know, Severino. So I said, okay, this is what it's all about, moving guys to the big league. And then it started happening one after another, after another, and after another. We started moving so many guys up there. And at first, it was, it was that's what you do. You want to have everybody go to the big leagues. And that's the best conversation I could ever have is bring a guy in and say, hey, one of the big leagues. It's the best conversation ever. But I have to give credit to our coaching staff and the players that have stepped up when those guys have been gone. 
it has been unbelievable how much they have stepped up. We've asked a lot of guys to do things that they're not used to doing, playing a lot, and they have. They've all handled the task, and uh, to be 500 at this point in time is really good with all the moves that we made. Just to jump on that, so you've had 17 individual players called up to this point. There was yes. 19 all of last season, so that shows you how busy it's been, and you've had a lot of those conversations. I, I was I was curious, what's that conversation like? Let's say I get called up to Washington, I sit down in your office, like, is it just a simple, hey, you're going to the big leagues? Is it different for every guy? How do those well, conversations it, go? It depends. Like, you know, I, I, I try to have fun with it, certain guys. I, it's got to be about their personality. You know, some guys, are, they're just all business. I'm like, hey, listen, we're going to send you up to the big leagues. And, you know, like with Spencer Keeman, when we sent him, I tried to act like I was mad because during the game I, I was, you know, getting on him about a certain pitch that he called or – and. Uh, I was trying to get him to pitch somebody inside. I go, and so when he come in, I go, how many times do I got to tell you to get him to throw the ball inside? I started acting mad. He's looking at me like, what? All day I've been trying to tell you to throw the ball inside. I go, why? How, what, how come it took you five innings to do it? And I go, oh, by the way, you're going to the big leagues. <laughs> so it depends on the personality of the guy. But, you know, a lot of times, like I said, so where were you last night? All right, you know, like Sierra, right? When we sent Sierra, I go, what would you do last night, man? He's like, what are you talking about? I go, I'm just telling you, you know, tell, call my room, you know. He goes, what? And I go, no, you're going to the <laughs> so, I, so I like, a little bit. Yeah, I like to mess around with them. But most of the time, I don't have a lot of time. When we were in Louisville and Indianapolis, we were, they were on the West Coast. So their game was starting at 10.30. When we had all the 11 o'clock games, 1 o'clock games. You know, so we, the first couple of nights we were trying to go to sleep to get up for the morning games. I get a call at 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> Randy, you need to send Torres, and then you got to send God, and then you got to send Adams. So we just started uh, at, back at the hotel in, in Indy. It's a little patio, so me, Dahlbeck, and uh, Holman got the iPad, put it up there, and we just watched the game, and it was sad, but we're sitting watching the game, and, and uh, Kelly throws a pitch, and looks like it's fun. We're like, all right, and I have my phone there. I go, Phone rings. It's my boss, Doug Harris. Says, "Don't go to bed." I said, "Well, nope, we're not we're watching the game." <laughs> so we end up staying up watching the game the whole time just to make sure. Once we felt like they got through it, then we went to bed. And then, of course, we had the eleven o'clock game the next day. So, so you're getting a lot of messages. Is it always the same? Is it always Doug Harris, or is it different uh, sometimes? Who's telling you who's got to go up? And it's usually Doug Harris. It's, yeah. it's probably ninety percent of the time it's Doug Harris, and or it'll be Mark Chalaba that will call me. So okay. you know when those guys are calling. Usually it's good news for, for yes. players here. Yes, unless I did something really foolish. <laughs> it depends on the time of the day. If it's really early in the morning, that means I did something foolish, <laughs> and it says Doug Harris on it. If it's later in the morning or later in the day, it's usually a pretty positive. Good to know. Good to know. So, Randy, uh, as we speak here, you guys have scored 10 runs in five of the last seven games. And you know as well as anybody the ups and downs and the fluctuations of, of how a baseball season can go. But what would you attribute all those runs to uh, here at this point? I think we're – I got to really contribute a lot of it to Do, Brian Dahlbeck. He does a fantastic job with these guys. He um, Not only is it about technique and, you know, where your hands are and all that stuff, but he talks to him about the pitcher, who we're facing – What's this guy going to do? You know, how, what's our best approach off of the guy? And he, and he really gets into what you're thinking when you're hitting. You know, we feel like at the AAA level, it's not so much mechanics anymore. It's more your thought process. You know, if you're an A ball and you worry about where your hands are or getting down on time or where your feet are. But when you're in AAA and you're knocking on the door of the big leagues, it's about 
how am I going to get a hit off this guy? What's this guy going to do to me? And he's fantastic about that. He's one of probably one of, one of the smartest guys I've ever played with and been around. I played with him back in the day, and I'm really fortunate to have him on the coaching staff because he's like a bench coach with me. So that, that helps me out a lot with that. But And, and we're older. you got to remember, we're an older team. I think we have the oldest team in the league. And so these guys have been through it. They, you know, they've been playing a lot. They, pretty, they know their strike zones. And I think the fact that they don't swing – we don't swing a lot of bad pitches. So we have a bunch of guys on uh, walks. I think we lead the league in walks. And on the other side, we were less in strikeouts too. So, I was going to say, there's a disparity there. So you lead the league in walks, you're last in strikeouts, you're last in home runs, second in batting average, uh, third in, in RBI. There's 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 a real balance there. Is there, is there a method to that madness or I, just kind of how it's played out? So I, I think it's the conversations that they have in there. They uh, One of the things I've noticed about this team is that they're always talking to each other on the bench when they come out from hitting, always running by, telling them what they see. What they, what they should do, or I'm going to take this pitch. So there's a lot of conversations going, but I think it's because it's an older team and they've all been around and they've been everywhere. You know, we got, you know, Decker's been from somebody else and Dominguez is from somewhere else and Matt Hague's from somewhere else. So, you know, J- uh, Will, Jacob Wilson's from somewhere else. So we got a lot of team guys from different teams coming in here. And for them to get all along like they do, it's, it's pretty amazing. To be last in strikeouts is interesting. And you mentioned this is an older team and their experience. But it seems like we're just in this swing-away world in baseball now where you know strikeouts used to be bad. Now it's like it's just kind of part of the game. So th- how much pride is there that you are last in strikeouts, that you're getting good hits, and that you're getting production there? You know, it's funny that you bring the topic up because it's, it's a dangerous topic to talk about in the game. And when you talk about a topic like this and you're not on board – with the way they're doing it in the big leagues. It could be detrimental to your career to ever go back to the big leagues. But right now, I don't really care about that because I, I'm going to tell you how it all started down here. We got Rafael Batista. And Rafael Batista cannot hit the ball in the air because you don't have enough power to hit the ball in the ballpark. But what Rafi can do is hit line drives and hit ground balls and beat them out and to make him successful. And Brian went on a limb. Brian Dahlbeck went out there. He went on a limb. And he, when we got Batista, he said, you are not hitting the ball in the air. Not going to do it. You're going to hit line drives. You hit the ball the other way. And if you miss hit it, you got a chance to beat out. You're not going to hit home runs. And the sad thing is, last day before he got hurt, he hit a home run. But anyway, <laughs> his only one. But, um, but I think by doing I think the other players were watching. And they said, you know what, I want hits too. So a lot of our guys will – Hit, they think about hitting the ball at the middle, hitting line drives. And, and they'll take a shot at it every once in a while to hit a homer. But most of the time, they're trying to get hits. And if you're going to throw them away, they're going to hit the ball away. They're not going to try to pull it. It kind of reminds me of Willie Mays Hayes from Major League. Yeah. He told him, you know, stop trying to hit the ball in the air. And exactly. Go out there and, yeah. and leg him out. It's interesting that that's still out there. I mentioned Jacob Wilson, and I wanted to ask you about him. He's mm-hmm. leading the IL in, in batting right now. What, what do you attribute his uh, success so far to? When uh, he came up here from double-A, was it – Kind of sure what he wanted to do, and it, it was like perfect timing for him. Um, we went into Lehigh Valley, and Troy Gingrich, our hitting coordinator, was here. And so I, they were talking. Troy and Brian Dahlbeck were talking in the room about, you know, what, what's the best thing for Jacob Wilson. And they formed a plan, and uh, they gave it to Jacob, and he stayed with it ever since. Now, I don't – you're going to have to ask Jacob what that plan is. Because uh, I try not to, indulge, you know, that's hitting coach thing. I'm the manager. Sure, I can say whatever I want. But I respect my coaches enough where I'm not going to interfere with what they're doing. If I ask them, they'll tell me. But he's in a great place right now. 
I don't even want to know kind of thing. Just stay with it. But they did something with him and, and for him to stay with the plan. And, and hitters will vary. He's had a couple games where he didn't look as sharp, but he never varied off the plan. He trusted it. He believes in it. So his 0 for 4 day or 0 for 7 in two days, he never said, oh, this doesn't work anymore. Let me go somewhere else. And he stayed with it. And he's in a really great spot. And I think he's opening up a lot of eyes. We've talked a lot about hitting. we got to give the pitchers some love here. And you've got a veteran in Edwin Jackson who's been around this league and can set a real example for those pitchers. And he's 4-2 and two right now and, and certainly doing well. And let's just go through the pitching staff right now and, and what you see there. Well, Jackson, as you mentioned, um, Jackson probably pitched – with any big league team right now, the way he's throwing up there. <clears throat> I noticed that there's been more and more sta- people coming in, watching him. And Jackson actually has an out tomorrow, believe it or not. So uh, he's he, he, it's up to him, this decision. I don't know what's going on with our front office and him, uh, what they're going to do about it. But uh, he could probably go help a big league team in some respect. And, and he might be searching for it. I, I, I truly love Edwin Jackson, he's a great teammate. He keeps the guys going. He he really helps everybody else. And you know, if he does decides not to come back with us, he would surely be missed. I would miss him personally because I've had him in the big leagues. He was with us when I was a bench coach up there, and I would miss him. But you know, he's got to make the decisions that best suit him and his family. And you know, so. We'll find out in the next couple of days what he's going to do. And best of luck to him. Yes. Uh, whatever that choice is. Yes. Certainly. I I hope I wish the best for him. Um, and you got Fetty. You know, Fetty, uh, Eric's got a lot of – he's got big league stuff. He really does. And I think Eric sometimes gets caught in between uh, being in the big leagues and being in AAA. And I've, I've seen this before. You know, he wants to be there so bad that he gets down here and, and he's fighting instead of pitching in the moment and just do what you're supposed to do down here. Every pitch he throws, he feels like he's pitching up there. And that's where he gets in trouble sometimes because every time it doesn't work out for him, he thinks it's – is that hurting my chances up there? Well, it's not the case. Uh, Eric Fetty will pitch in the big leagues when it's his time kind of thing. So he's got to kind of work himself back in the moment. And he does at times. He, like the other day, he went out there and he was screwing around for one inning, couldn't throw the ball over to play, and then he came in and said, Jesus, all right. And then he went back out there and threw four great innings. So um, you got Austin Volt. He's uh, pitching today. In fact, uh, you know, he, he was a guy that came with us. He threw 94-95 when we got him. Uh, the last couple of years, we haven't seen the velocity. But he's the kind of guy that has – he can throw the ball where he wants to. And he has enough movement on his pitches where it could stay off the barrel enough that he could probably pitch in the big leagues. And, but he's going to have to be uh, – not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But he's going to have to be – his misses are going to have to be on the side that he's pitching. If he wants to throw it in, that's where he's got to miss. He can't miss too much over the plate. But he has the ability to do that because he can throw the ball where he wants. Uh, Vargas, we have Cesar Vargas, who uh, if Cesar Vargas can keep it under control, he might be a pretty good pitcher. But uh, we're, we're talking to him with that. He's, uh, he wants it so bad that when things start to go away from him, he thinks harder and faster is better. And he's kind of young in that maturity level when, when it comes to pitching at AAA. So we're trying to get him to understand, hey, if you're getting hit around a little bit, it's not better to go harder and faster. You're going to step off, find a way to get out of this. What do I need to do? you got to be able to think, process. What do I got to do to this hitter to get me out of this mess? He can't process it yet, but he's still young. I think everybody thinks Cesar Vargas is 30, 31. He's 25, 26. So he's fairly young. I thought he, I thought he was 30 
at first until I looked at it. I said, well, this kid, he's still a young kid, <laughs> you know. And then you have the veteran Tommy Malone, you know. And uh, honestly, I think Tommy Malone is, is trying to figure out what he wants to do. You know, and that's, that's a tough, it's a tough thing. You know, he's played for a while. Uh, he has good days and some days are not so good. And I think he's really contemplating on what he wants to do if he, and that's going to be his choice. You know, I've had Tommy before and, but I mean, it's a choice that he's going to have to try to make. The bullpen, outstanding. Great all year. There was a stretch where he didn't have a starter get out of the first or second for a while. Had to pitch these guys multiple innings. They all answered the task. Unfortunately, it does wear them down. And during that span, some of the games afterwards, they've kind of given up a few runs. And that's the one that is painful for me the most because I take a lot of pride in the bullpen of getting these guys their innings, getting them all ready. So when the big league team needs somebody, they've all thrown. They've all been back-to-back. And when you got a couple starters that don't get out of the inning, out of the first or second, it's a bullpen day. And so I wish I could have done it a little bit better. You and I were uh, chatting a little bit before we started recording about, you know, you might want to write a book someday about, like, how to see the game. So we could do a whole podcast just about <laughs> that, right? But if you had to really bear it down, if I'm just a fan and I'm walking in the stadium and I want to see the game like you, I want to see it differently, what, what are, like, some two or three key things to kind of watch a little closer that maybe I, I wouldn't as a fan right now? Well, you know, watch – don't watch the – you. everybody watches big – even the players, they watch the big picture. But watch what guys are doing, like – I don't want to call them antics, but, like, you'll watch the catcher. He'll do like this. He's telling the first baseman that there's going to be a ball hit his way right now. And that means they're going to throw the ball in or something off speed that's coming down to the lefty. You know, you get to look at the guy at first base. He's kind of peeking, looking in there. You know, watch the guys at second. You get a chance to see, are they doing something different because they're really relaying to the hitter what's coming and what they see. Because a lot of people don't understand that the guy at second can see the pitcher's grip on the ball when he comes set. And that's used a lot. There's a lot. Just watch all the little stuff that, that guys do. They change their feet on the rubber, pitchers. You know, if some pitchers will move around to where they want to throw the pitch. If they want to throw it in, it'll be on the third base side. If he wants to throw it in, he'll be on the first base side. And the guys that pick it up in the game, they're the ones that are actually have better years because they pick up all the little antics that they do. It's just paying attention to the game is what it is. Speaking of which, it seems like we're in a society where it's harder to do that. Everybody's attention spans are waning. And so you got <laughs> yes. your phone in your hand while you're at the ballpark or watching the game. And it's interesting because just the other day, Randy, you had you know, 9,000 kids here at the ballpark all having a, a blast. And they love coming and getting ice cream and doing their thing. But they, you know, they love being here. And one thing that was interesting to me is just to tell a, a, a quick story. So there was a teacher from uh, the Phoenix School District, local school district, who developed this app. And the kids, while they were watching the game through their phone, could kind of play this game while they were at the ballpark and win some prizes. So it's like a game within a game kind of thing, which is great. But where, where, where do you stand on that, how baseball kind of fits in society today and how you know, everybody's attention spans are waning? But maybe baseball is a place where you, know, you can put the phone down, you can relax, you can just enjoy the game. Or is that what we need to do more of, just kind of give everybody more things to do while they're watching the game? It's kind of an interesting balance. Well, you, you, you kind of hope that people come to the game. I used to call it a big playpen. I used to think that parents would bring their kids and they'd just let them run all over the place. But it gave them a chance to relax and the kids have all this stuff for the kids to do and they could actually watch a ball game. I, I hope it never loses that tradition where – but you look in the stands, everybody's on their phone. Then you then you got to worry about foul balls. 
You know, now we're putting the screens further down, which is good. It's good safety for them. But, you know, pay attention. The game's a beautiful game. And I know it can be boring. I, I have a girlfriend that says it all the time. You know, I can't watch baseball all day. <laughs> all you guys do is stand around. I said, but it, if it, the good fans, they understand the little points of the game. And, and you know, but I think with all the analytics, that's where we got all the phones. Now everybody wants to see numbers and all that stuff. But I wish people would go out and just enjoy the game, the watching the game, the competi- competitive nature of the game, pitcher against hitter, balls hit, what are you going to do? You know, that, that's the best part of the game. All the analytics stuff, I, I, they are part of the game. Do I use them? Yes. Do I fully believe in them? No. I think you got to manage people still. It's not anything else. You know, you could have a guy that's 8 for 10 off him, but this morning I saw him throwing up his guts in the bathroom. <laughs> you know, I don't think he's probably going to be able to have that same kind of performance off of that guy. Or you find out he's having family troubles at home and he needs a couple of days. I get all that. And the analytics say, yes, that's what you should do, but you should know your people too. Get to know. And I think my biggest fear with the analytics you don't get to know your personnel as much because it doesn't matter. It's just a number now. But I think as a manager and as a coach and as somebody that works with these guys, they they should get to know the person before you learn the numbers. It's a it's a it's a delicate balance there for sure. You know what else works? I, I found Randy is a little bribery in this way. I'll tell you a quick story. So I was out. In I the got backyard. one for you too. There you go. Okay, good. We could trade stories here. So I'm out in the backyard with my daughter the other day. It's a true story. And we got the wiffle ball and the wiffle bat. Awesome. Yeah, and she's yeah. getting into it, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm throwing her just, you know, little lob pitches, and she's hitting them. So I'm like, okay. So I Are look, you backing up now? I'm backing up. <laughs> and I look at my daughter, and I say, and I'm dead serious, I say, if you hit this, I will give you $2. And I threw a real pitch, and she hit it. Really? So now she's hooked. Yes. So, <laughs> How much money did you lose Whatever on the it day? Takes. Yeah, it's, it's getting up Did you there stop now. after two? I said, okay, yeah, we'll have to bribe you with other things now. Like you can have an ice cream after dinner or something because it's getting expensive. But it's funny what motivates a kid. And, you know, in that case, now she loves baseball. So, you know. Well, I have it, – it's uh, managing AAA is a little tricky. And because you got a lot of guys that have been to the big leagues, you got a lot of guys that have been there that probably – they feel like they can't go back. Well, in this organization, you can see we send whoever's ready and whoever's playing the best goes. They don't care if you're on the roster or not on the roster, which I think is great of our organization to do because we're trying to win a World Series, so we're going to take the best player. So you get a lot of the guys that come back, a lot of guys that don't think they're going to go, but maybe, and you got a lot of guys that are wanting to get there so bad. Well, we still have to do our work here. You know, it's still the minor leagues. My boss tells me we still have to take infield and batting practice and PFPs. So... But you can't treat it like it's A-ball. And these guys are not stupid in that room. They understand. We're not doing A-ball stuff. We're not A-ball guys. We know we've been in the big league. So I had to make a deal with them. And I said, well, we have to take infield outfield. My boss says we've got to take it twice a week. And I'm trying to figure out a way. How am I going to pull this off? With And we got the oldest team in baseball. Yes, really. we've done this. Yeah. We're older than half of the big league teams. So I said, how am I going to pull this off? I said, all right, fellas. We'll only take infield every second day of a series. If it's during the day or it rains, we won't take it at all that series. So I guess some of them must have looked at the schedule, and I didn't. Like, Skip, that's a deal. So then I went and looked back. All the second games are day games. (laughs) Just your luck. 
So I had to, so now I use, and this is probably gonna get out now. So now, cause we moved so many players. So I said, hey, we gotta take infield today. He's like, hey, Skipper, it's not the second day, it's the first day. I go, yeah, but this guy's coming and this guy's coming. We gotta take it, it's a day game tomorrow. They're like, yeah, come on. Deal changed. Deal's yeah. changed. Yeah. So I'm, I will and deal with them all the time. You got to. You, you got to. It. It's yes, a long yes, season, yes, right? Yes, you got to wheel and deal. There you go. Wheel and deal. It's <laughs> part of baseball. Randy, uh, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck the rest of the season. Hopefully we'll catch up again soon. But thanks for hanging with us today. Thank you. Anytime, Brad. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank awesome. you, sir. Thanks for listening to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. iTunes, Google Play. Search for Syracuse Sports Podcast. Hit the subscribe button. And we'll send you new episodes to wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Brent Axe. We'll talk to you next time.